0: This is Joe Basso for Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I'm speaking with Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips. Wayne, how you doing? I'm pretty good. All right.
1: This seems like it's going well so far.
0: There you go. (laughs) So um, you have a new movie called Christmas on Mars, which I have seen, but I must say it's not a conventional movie. Better than have me explain the plot, why don't you tell our audience about the movie?
1: I would say, you know, from the get-go, um, you know, whenever you get the idea that kind of a weirdo artist um, is is making a movie, all bets are off. So you could think maybe a title like Christmas on Mars really might just mean something abstract or meta- like a metaphor for something. I can think of like a movie, like um, like Water for Chocolate. You know, you're like, what is that movie going to be about? Well, Christmas on Mars really is about. Christmas, and it really is on Mars. Right. Um, Not that I really went to Mars to shoot it, but I mean, (laughs) as as plots go, it would not be an abstraction of something else. So we join up with this group of stranded or, you know, scientists or whatever they are on Mars, and it's it's Christmas Eve, and there is like a futuristic baby being born, and at the same time, we are, the audience is let in on this idea that there's a curious super being flying around the universe. That would be my character. Right. So we, as we settle in on this sort of disastrous but hopeful Christmas Eve, they're working on their oxygen generator, and as they the, the more they work on it, they break it, and then it, it's out of commission, so they're, <laughs> they're spiraling into a deeper, you know, unescapable doom. At the same time, they're trying to fix this strange gravity control pod thing that they can't quite get to work right. Well, all this sort of conspires against them and they start having these horrible hallucinations, <laughs> which I don't know if we can speak of exactly what those hallucinations are on your podcast, but they're, you know, they're they're based around the idea of this futuristic baby being born and right. birth and just sometimes horrible but fantastical freaky things that could
0: only happen like on Mars. I'm um, laughing I'm <laughs> cuz it's just so nutty and heavy, and, and but, but enjoyable and fun and you know having seen it and hearing you describe it it just it's it's just still so crazy. Well, you
1: have to remember I I'm, I'm making it with no intention that someone in Hollywood <laughs> would think, "Oh, this is a great this is going to be a great movie." If only we could get Tom Cruise to be in it. We, we we've got to get this guy to do the next
0: Bond film
1: yeah see i'm I'm already doing exactly what I want, reaching the exact audience that I think <laughs> will be amused by it, challenged by it, entertained by it so I'm already there I'm not like an independent filmmaker who's trying to get a job you know right. um, so they you know they 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 run into all these calamities as they go, and I think there really is kind of a, a melancholy and a sad element to Christmas on Mars, even though it's a, a flaming lips you know thing right um, there really is a lot of death and gloom and, and doom, but in a believable sense, I, I think. But then my, my character lands in the movie as a sort of curious super being, lands in this fantastical space bubble thing, and he's able to fix the oxygen generator, and Michael's character in the film is able to fix that gravity control device, and the futuristic baby is able to be born, and it's a, I think it sends a very hopeful, cosmic, Message out into the world.
0: <laughs> and speaking of bubbles, you're no stranger to them. You you're one of the few people to have been in something like a big hamster bubble <laughs> in, in, and traveled into well, your see, audience.
1: See, Joe, I call it a space bubble, okay. hamster bubble. I know. Sort of seems like uh, it, it, it. That throws it into a different category. For me, I'm I always tell the audience that you know I've descended from space and I'm sort of lightly hovering over top of them. Whereas really, it, it, it is just sort of a clumsy blow-up rubber device, and I really am stepping on their heads, you know. I, I,
0: so I, I have to um, ask you, though, doing it for real at your concerts, is it scary, fun, both?
1: It depends on the audience, I have to say. I mean, you know, when when I first did it, I would say the first two or three times, there's a fear that, you know, I'm going to go out in the audience and they're not going to hold me up. or, or I mean, <laughs> it, I, the fear is that I'm going to, you know, because the, the audience sometimes is going quite, crazy. But at the same time, I know that there's probably a a group of girls who are like the size of the Olsen twins who really have no idea what's going on because they're short and they're probably text messaging their friends, you know, (laughs) hey, you know, um, what are you guys doing? And then I fear that I'm just going to come over top of them in this space bubble and crush them and their phones and everything, you know. So I'm always aware that, hey, these are people and you know, I, I weigh 150 pounds and I don't want to break their necks, you know, so there's <laughs> now that's mostly my concern. And, you know, I think people worry um, is there enough air in there and, you know, stuff like that. But I have to say, only recently we were down in, in Mexico City where, I, for whatever the reason, there's the a really young audience and they were just, they have a lot of energy and so I was thrown around in a way you know it's like they're they're so they were going so crazy that a lot of times i'm really sort of walking and controlling it with some sort of grace but occasionally like down in mexico it was it's kind of like a gang fight only i'm in a bubble and i'm losing and they're they're not in a bubble and they're winning which uh, is everything you want a
0: concert to be though isn't it exactly it is so back to the movie this was not a uh, quick shoot by any means uh, you've been working on this for quite a while
1: I think it started out with the intention of not necessarily being quick, but not being seven years in the making. Right. We started to make it in 2001, at the very beginning of 2001, and I think with all intention of it taking, you know, two or three years, knowing that we were we were still recording another record, or even in 2001, we were getting ready to finish what would go on to be the Yoshimi Battles of the Pink Robots record, and then, you know, knowing that we were going to be you know playing and promoting and that's a that's a full-time job in and of itself sure. and then I think as the years went by even after that record came out we kind of you know luckily we kind of became a, a sort of bigger rock group that yeah. was able to play more places around the world and just that that sort of kept growing I think even to the point now um, where I think some people will know songs from Yoshimi Battles of Pink Robots so and not even know who the Flaming Lips are that's kind of how much it kind of rolled along without us and then I think we would get back to Christmas on Mars you know, whenever we whenever we could, because I always mean, that's still making promotional music videos and all that, there, I think there would be times when we would even be shooting a promotional music clip, and then the next day, put on our Christmas on Mars, you know, suits, and then go into one of my sets that I made in my backyard over here, and then, you know, as it crept into the four- and five-year range, the um, the <laughs> inevitable um, comparison to <laughs> Axl Rose and Chinese democracy started to creep in, and and i and I have to say though I was always working as diligently as I could to um to finish it but i but I have to say it it was it's so much better than it would have been in the first two or three years if we finished it the all the the evolution of even the way that you can edit on the you know using your computer at your house and all the guys that were working with me became. So much, you know, more uh, just just more creative and more enthusiastic, and they all, you know, they are, all the guys I'm working with were making films and commercials and all that sort of stuff as we went along. So, I feel as though in the in the process, um, even though this is my first movie, I, I feel like as though I've made three or four in the big process <laughs> it took. So it's a much richer film because of all the time.
0: The special edition of Christmas on Mars, the DVD comes with a CD of the soundtrack for the film. Now, was this music that you were always envisioning for the film, or did you come up with it later?
1: You know, I think as as it went along, there was music in the beginning that we we sort of would make the, the movie in a couple of different ways. Sometimes we'd make a scene kind of like a music video, where we'd have the music, and then we'd shoot the scene knowing that we're going to edit the scene to music with rhythm and timing. You know, not unlike the way... Stanley Kubrick would have used that theme at the beginning of 2001. How right. that scene is really cut to a piece of music, and yes. that can be very powerful. And you know that. But then there'd be other times when we were, you know, we're making kind of abstract music, knowing we're shooting kind of abstract scene, and knowing, since we're editing it and it's our music and all that, that we could hope that those two ideas are going to blend together. But I think most of it, most of I think the the best bits in it, the most powerful moment you know combination of music mood and picture and story and all that i think mostly happened at the end as we were editing finding pieces of music and being able to watch it create the music at the same time i hate to say it in in a lot of ways like i think people did even in hollywood starting in you know in the 30s when when sound and picture started to be developed you know and and i think it's it's it's, it's only once you hear it and see it at the same time that you can go oh well that's that really has a lot of power, you know, when you yeah. actually experience it. I think it's, so it's like a lot of things. I don't, I don't think you could envision in your mind what that combination of stuff is going to be. It's, it, it must be kind of like cooking, you know, like yeah. put some garlic in and taste it, you know. <laughs> you couldn't envision what it's going to taste like unless you actually experience it. And really, you know, a lot of art, I think, is made just like that. You kind of just have to do it and see. And if, luckily in our case, you know, if we didn't like it, um, since we're making all the music and special effects, we could just simply create some more or try again or, you know, ha- hope that another happy accident, you know, comes along where I could see in the high-pressure um, world of Hollywood, you know, maybe that luxury wouldn't be available. So I think, you know, our movie has some some things in it that I think a, a lot of filmmakers would envy, especially in, in the way that we can just simply create create the things, you know, at our own convenience, really at our own at our own pace. I'm not saying that we're more creative than they are, but sometimes I think having time and perspective and not being in such a panic of of having to make something work, for us anyway, really worked.
0: With the advent of DVD, I don't know if there are quote-unquote midnight movies anymore, but there is a sort of midnight movie, David Lynch quality to the film. Who inspired you? Who inspired you as a director?
1: Well, I mean, I, I would... People who know – that a lot of people see movies and don't actually care that directors make them, but there are a handful of directors. I mean, David Lynch, one that you mentioned, he's perfectly inspirational because he tells you the truth about how he does stuff. Um, There's a lot of filmmakers out there who I don't think want to tell you how they do things. Um, But he's he's very frank about it, and especially nowadays, you know, the way DVDs will have the makings of or commentary, or there's a lot of just interesting things online – definitely i would say david lynch not because i would see his films and think oh i could do that uh, it was right. more that the, the him speaking about the way he made his films he would say oh i tried to do it this way and i messed up but something good came out of it me messing up made it better and you know when you're working with a, a group of filmmakers and artists and everybody's insecure about what what is this junk you, you know you want to know you want you want to know that you you can't know every answer before you get there and so i'd say even even someone like a Stanley Kubrick that is so meticulous that he's he's building the sets himself to me that was i thought well i can build sets myself i can just i can instead of hiring people and not knowing you know trying to dictate my ideas to them i would just do them myself but so, you know what's
0: what's interesting you just mentioned two directors who probably couldn't be more disparate david lynch who probably is very open to spontaneity and happy accidents and stanley kubrick who shot scenes 50 60 times till he got it exactly the way he wanted it
1: well i would say on the surface i would have assumed the same thing i think that's why i'd like oh well i could go from stanley kubrick to david lynch but i think the more i got to know them i think they both in a sense would work very intuitively and sort of not knowing what they want but knowing in the same way i talked about the garlic and the tomato sauce mm-hmm. when you knowing once you once you experience it that oh that's what i wanted um and maybe David Lynch is, is more, you know, open to abstract strangeness, and maybe Stanley Kubrick is, is more epic and trying to tell like a, you know, a more a more uh, you know, hopeful, powerful story. But I, I would always say that most people who are going to try to really do their thing are kind of, they probably all are working in a sense, in an intuitive sense, even the way I, I was, that you can't, you know, people who write novels, do they know every word or every sentence before they start? <laughs> they, You know, luckily they're just sitting on their computer and they don't have 30 people waiting on them, you know. But I think all art, a big, you know, a painting, do you know what it, every brush stroke before you do it? And so, you know, I would use those ideas of just making your dumb art. I say dumb art because it's just art. I'm not really expecting anybody to really care about it except myself, you know, but Making it in that way of like, if I find a better answer than the one I thought I was looking for, I'm just going to go there. And so, but there's tons of filmmakers out there, and even the guys that I would work with um, would always allow me this 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 room to just be the you know whatever weird subconscious vision I had that they would allow me to pursue it. And you've seen the film, you know, yeah. you know it, it it holds nothing back.
0: You know? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> but it,
1: it, it, Which it, is what I. I would think that the Flaming Lips audience would be utterly disappointed if they thought, oh, you know, I thought Wayne was going to be a freak and do exactly what he wanted.
0: One last question: What's up with the Flaming Lips? What are What are you guys up to?
1: Well, I think as as Christmas goes along here, I'll I'll probably still be out there, you know, talking about Christmas on Mars. But then I think right after that, we're going to start to make this sort of record that, underneath, see, it's always. I'm always working on three things at one time. Right. I, I think that's the beauty of kind of being able to, to sort of dictate your own destiny. We've been working on music really over the past couple of years anyway. So we already have a, a, a few things that we already like that are already so, sort of produced and stuff. And I believe we will probably have a record out even by the beginning of the summer.
0: Oh, fantastic! And I say
1: that because, I mean, I know we're going to be playing shows all in the summer. We're always, we always play shows in the summer, a lot in America and a lot really around the world. And just have some new things to say. It's kind of a new world out there. um, Have some new things to say, mostly.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. This is Joe Basso for Music Radar, the place for music makers. And I've been speaking with Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips. Wayne, thank you very much.
1: Well, you did great. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I did great. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, man. Hey, take care.
1: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. All right, well, thanks for
0: having me. Okay. Bye-bye now.
1: All right, bye.